Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, this is the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Matthew Appleby, and today I'm with Adrian Wickham, Glendale Corporate Development Director and Tessa Johnston, Johnston Landscapes Director. Both are Barley Directors and are working in new roles on diversity and inclusion for the association. So, starting with Adrian. Hi there, Adrian. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Very well. Excellent. Now, I'm just going to ask you how you got into the industry. Uh, purely by, by accident, actually. Um, I, was, I was studying at, at college, uh, doing a, a business course, and it came to the summer holidays as I came to the end of it, and I, I wanted a job, and needed a job. So I joined an agency, and the agency sent me to a, a, a contractor borough to do landscaping. In fact, it was, they, they said it was digging some holes. And as I, as I joined the company, it was in, in Bracknell, it was actually doing some, some hard landscaping and landscape design um, and construction. So it was using big boys toys, I'd say, uh, re-landscaping our new housing estate. And it's just something I fell into and, and absolutely loved. Um, I had a really good, good team leader at the time, um, Chard Hand, back then we used to call him. So uh, yeah, I, I got into it and, and haven't looked back since. Haven't looked back since. Brilliant. And what about you, Tessa? How did you get into the industry? So to me, it wasn't a natural fit straight away. I, um, my background was 10 years um, in London, in the city. I've always done PA work, so personal assistant work. Uh, And I then moved to Wiltshire out of London and um, joined the National Trust, uh, which was 10 fantastic years uh, running the executive office um, of the National Trust. And I loved it because um, the organisation is just a really inclusive place and we were allowed to get involved with anything we wanted to. Uh, And after 10 years, actually, my boss left. And although I could have gone off and done something else in the trust, 
I sort of felt it was a the right time was a natural break. Um, my husband ran a landscaping company, which is is the one that I'm um, I now partner him with. Uh, I'd never really shown any interest in it, and I feel a bit bad about that now. I loved what he did. I loved seeing the creation of um, the domestic gardens, the private projects. Um, but I only ever really looked at the final photos and you know said, "Well done, that's great." But we then decided you know, what was I going to do? Was I going to carry on doing PA work or could I help him grow the business in some way? So actually we ended up, I joined the business about five years ago. Um, and really what we've tried to do is just change, grow how he always wanted the business to grow. I, he wasn't a hundred percent, you know, interested in the, the business side of it, but he loved the sustainability side of it, the environmental side of it. Um, and also he's always been really into growing, people who are in the business and I've really enjoyed that so I sort of fell into it as well in a way and I think that's that's one of the things about landscaping a lot of people don't set out to join landscaping it it perhaps isn't an aspirational um, industry and I think that's rather sad and I think that's one of the things that Adrian and I are really trying to look at is it there's, there's such variety in the industry and there are so many different areas to it so that's why I'm you know staying involved and and loving being involved with Bali. Well that's two really interesting and diverse ways that you two got into landscaping and today we are talking about the situation for diversity in landscaping so Adrian what, what do you think the situation is um, in that area where are we at at the moment? Well, I feel that, and, and Tessa certainly alluded to it, and, and it's certainly our stories, is that we never, we weren't able to quite easily walk into to the industry. Um, for me, it was purely accidental, but I think that it's, it's the same with any industry and where, wherever you are. I was really fortunate to have somebody to, uh, a number of people actually throughout my career, to put their arms around my shoulders, to guide me, to have trust in me, to develop me um, and, and, and take me forward. Um, they had trust in me and, and, and for me it was very important for me to to give that that trust back or repay them for that trust and I was able particularly with Glendale to to, to go through the ranks um, to learn an awful lot um, but again I, I was very fortunate to have good guidance and I think that's probably where we where we are today is that it doesn't seem that it's an easy and very accessible um, industry because it can feel sometimes maybe elitist perhaps in some, some people's views. Um, some people may not want to, may, may be coming into it through a change of career um, and wondering how to get into it, certainly from, from schools. So I think it's a, it, it, at the moment, I think we really do need to perhaps open it up to uh, diverse people and diverse groups um, and, and show them how to, to, to quite easily come into the industry. I think the other thing is certainly about us finding people to, to, to mentor um, people to, to grow and support. Um, and I certainly want to do that in the way that I was, I was supported uh, in, in the industry myself. Oh, brilliant. And what about you, Tessa? What's your um, you know, take on this, this question about um, entry points into the industry? I think rather sadly that landscaping has, has always been one of those industries that's perhaps perceived as somebody who hasn't got a, a you know, a great set of qualifications or skill set. Um, and I think construction um, at that entry level can be looked at in the same way. And actually what I've seen from joining um, my husband's business is 
there is so much you can get involved with. And the team that we have, which sadly at the moment are, are all guys, but they're all great guys. We've had um, females working for us. Uh, but just at the moment, our team is all male. They, it's very easy to assume that they just want to come in and build a garden and go home and, and, and not really have huge aspirations. But actually, once I sit down and bother to talk to any of them, they, they've all got aspirations. They all want to do something different. And, and in order to accommodate that, we've really changed the structure of our business. Um, and I think a lot of landscaping businesses have. You know, the ones that I talk to, they're certainly not Jurassic anymore. They're much more dynamic. Um, when I talk to the guys um, and girls on the barley board, their businesses have got really interesting models and they are all looking at apprenticeships. Um, we've got two apprentices at the moment and I, will, I won't stop that process. I will always do the apprenticeship process. What we try and do a little bit differently is, um, you know, if somebody comes in on either a government scheme um, or um, just at that entry level, is we don't pay the, um, you know, the national minimum wage I don't I don't agree with that so we will you know we'll try and match it and up it and make sure that the they're they're valued for for what they're bringing to the company Um, so I think it I think what we really want to do is just change people's perception there is so much you can get involved with there are so many different areas you know if you you can look at it as a very simple going out and working for the day and going home or you can have the whole picture, you know, you want to create something, you want a legacy, you want to build something. Um, and I think a lot of the businesses are now more interested um, in making the access easier for more people. Oh, well, um, I remember in November 2020, Tessa, we wrote a piece on um for International Women's Day on 100 leading women in horticulture, and we included you. You mentioned, you know, the industry is quite male-dominated. Um, do you think there is a lack of women leaders in horticulture? Um, I, I, do, I don't have any data, so I, it would be wrong for me to say how many or to guess how many women are leading things. I think there are plenty of female business owners. Um, are they... Do they put themselves out there and shout about it? No, I think I think perhaps as a general generalistic comment, we're not as good at shouting our corner. So we tend to, and this again, it's a very generalistic comment, but we tend to not perhaps enter awards. We tend to worry a bit more that if we're not doing something really, really well, we won't shout about it yet. Um, I'm really guilty of that. I, I quite like sitting behind other people and promoting other people. It's something I've always done. When I did PA work, I, I was always the support mechanism. It's That's just the route I chose. But on a day-to-day basis, I still do talk to a lot of um, other women. And, and the thing to me that's more important is I'm not working around a bunch of guys who are sexist and who don't want us to be involved. I the re- one of the reasons I've loved the industry and love being involved in Bali is I found everybody really inclusive. You know, all one of the reasons I joined the board at Bali is because I for some strange reason I was rebuilding our website and I wanted the website to function in a particular way and I ended up finding somebody else's website online and it happened to be um a company which is owned by Paul Downer, who's one of the um, other board 
Bali directors. I, I didn't know him. I'd never heard of him. But I phoned him and I just said, you know, I'm trying to do this with the business and I don't know how to do it. And your website seems to support that you are already doing this. And he spent an hour with me on the phone, you know, and he's a really busy person. And he spent an hour on the phone talking me through, mentoring me really in that one hour. And it was invaluable. And at no point did he scoff and say, yeah, you're female, you know, forget it, go away. I I found it a really inclusive industry. I just think we're not being vocal enough about it. So I've been, you know, completely welcomed by everybody. I I love it. Yeah, that's a great example of the industry working together. Um, now, Adrian, in, in 2019, um, some research which Barley was involved in found the horticulture industry could be worth 50% more than the current 24 billion if the skills gap is filled. But h- how bad do you think the skills gap is and how can it be filled? I, I think the skills gap um, does, does seem to be widening. Um, there seems to be a lot less people uh, coming into the, to the industry. Um, but I think the way to resolve it is by being far more diverse and us and us um, as an industry uh, trying to attract people from different backgrounds, if it's different religious backgrounds, religious uh, backgrounds, if it's people that are, are uh, with disabilities or mental health or or different religion. We we need to attract these people in to, to fill that gap. Um, we really do need to promote the industry a little bit more, uh, make it a little bit more sexier, shall we say. Um, and perhaps have some really, some really interesting people that people can look at, and I, you know we can go back to, to to the football, and people can look at it and say, actually, I could support that team or I could support that industry because there's people in there that I recognise. That's an industry that I'd like to to be in, um, and an organisation that I'd like to work for. So I think that's a, a fantastic opportunity to fill to fill the gap, um, but just. Let's also put the good work of the industry because I'm really amazed by how nice and people are, how encouraging people are within the industry. I compete with many, many different companies up and down the country. It is a very, very friendly environment and a bunch of friendly people that I really, I really draw to them and I really draw to the industry in that respect. Oh, great. Now, you two are working on this project for Bali. Um, can you tell me a bit more about it, just about what exactly you're doing and what you're hoping to achieve? Um, what, what are we hoping to achieve? We're trying to, to A, put the industry back on the map. Uh, we are seeking to, at the end of this year, uh, around December the 2nd, we want to have a, an event called Access All Areas, where we want to invite a number of people from diverse backgrounds to our meeting, to a roundtable discussion really, and let them have access to the industry. Uh, it's so varied. There's so many different things that, that can be done. There's so many people that are, are scientists, because I believe it's a scientific uh, uh, industry, horticulture. We talk about plant knowledge. We're talking about really quite in depth, if it's plants, if it's trees, um, shrubberies, pl- um, bedding, whatever it is, if it's if it's growing these things, it's really, really quite scientific and and, and biological. Um, but then it's also about these people that are creative and, and and can design and people that can speak and people that just very visual. So we'd we'd like to invite a, a roundtable discussion for people to see what they can get into within the within the industry and what what they they can be attracted to and potentially what's out there. Um, it's not just about digging holes in the ground, for example. There's there's a lot more to it as well. And business people, it is a business. It is really, really quite complex. 
and we're talking about um, purchasing, we're talking about profit and loss and finance. It's a real business. So there's, it's, it's a variety of tasks for a variety of different people that, that can be attracted to the industry. You know, that sounds like it's going to be a really good event on um, the 2nd of December. Um, so Tessa, from your point of view, what, what, what's the Bali Diversity Project entail? Adrian and I really only started working on this um, towards the beginning of this year and we've deliberately gone pretty slowly on it because we've seen an awful lot of companies install diversity um, roles in their business and we want to make sure we're not paying lip service that we're doing it because we're interested in it and and definitely you know selfishly from my perspective I want to see more people coming in I do find it quite difficult to recruit people Um, so the event in December uh, which is you know, it's pretty much wrapped up but what we're what we're hoping is that perhaps from um from this podcast is that if anybody is interested in being involved in the event we'll have an audience and we'll have people around the table and we want to have a few different people we don't want to have the people that we're always hearing from that we love hearing from um but just anybody else that perhaps feels they've got something to offer we're, we're really welcome you know we'd welcome talking to them um you know barley does a lot of work already but it, it's perhaps and it hasn't done it entirely quietly but the go landscape um initiative which sends you know we go into a lot of schools and it's a really busy initiative that's um, ongoing within Bali Um, I think they attended around 73 75 careers events between 2019 and 2020 before we all had to sadly shut down Um, and then behind the scenes during the pandemic um, Stephen Ensel who runs that initiative um, is getting ready to go back out, take more ambassadors out into schools because actually getting to talk to children at around 14, 15, and it's not always easy to do that. There are lots of complications with going into schools, but Stephen's really keen on that initiative. Um, you know, and getting to talk to them at that age to make them understand how exciting the industry is. Um, that's a really powerful thing. So we want to support Go Landscape a lot and to help promote the work they're already doing. Um, and I think out of the event in December, we're going to decide, you know, what what will the outcome of that be? We don't want it just to be a chat and then we all leave the room because people obviously coming to the table uh, are taking time out. Um, but perhaps that that outcome can come out of that meeting. We don't we're not quite sure yet. We haven't we haven't got there. Um, We've called it access all areas because I think it's that's a really important thing. And I think that's physical access um, and mental access. Uh, we have an exciting event which um, or initiative which will be happening around World Mental Health Day in October, which I'm not announcing right now because it's it's not out in the public domain. But when we've when we've tied that down in detail, that's going to be another um, sort of bow to the inclusion side of the work we're trying to do. We're just trying to encourage everyone in all of the membership to perhaps not only look at people that just are like yourself. I've been really guilty in the past when I worked at the National Trust, when I first set up the executive office, I tended to surround myself by people that were just like me, uh, whether that was because they looked like me or the same education or whatever. And actually, I didn't create a particularly brilliant office. Um, and then I ended up with somebody coming in to run the correspondence side of things. And I, to be honest, I didn't get on with him very well, but he was absolutely brilliant at his job. And I'm so glad I met him and I'm so glad he joined us. Um, so I think you know, a lot of the work we want to do is really to get our members to see that 
you know, just just look a little bit further, perhaps look at some of these wonderful schemes that are out there, things like Kickstart. Um, you know, you can you can there's a lot of help out there from the government where you can perhaps help place people that are not going to find it as easy as you or me to walk into a job. Um, and there are initiatives where we can support people, mentor people. Hopefully they would stay with you once they've finished their six month placement. And perhaps if they agree that they're not right for you or you're not right for them, uh, we then have a duty of care to ensure that we help them find a role somewhere else. Uh, it's just opening the industry up to a to a wider audience really and that will really really improve um the shortage we have with skills it has to you know we all know diversity on any level makes things stronger it just does yeah we just want to to add for our event in um december is that we we want to involve the industry we want to work with other organizations although we are barley and our membership is is our most important thing um we also want to work with other organizations around diversity and inclusion is something that we feel that we just can't do alone and the industry must unite on this subject. Excellent, fantastic. Now, um, you both mentioned mentors a couple of times. So, Adrian, who, who do you see as, as your mentors? I mean, now that you're a mentor to other people. I've had I've had various various mentors, which you know I'm happy to to say here. I've had one 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 gentleman, Craig Davis, who when I when I first joined, um, I was in Bracknell, and he was my charge hand, and and, and we grew. Um, he he later joined Glendale, and he said, "Come and join us, you know, become a supervisor." Something that I didn't even consider doing as a, a, a business uh, course. Um, I joined um, and and worked my way through the organisation. I had. Other leaders, such as the owner of, of, of Glendale, who's unfortunately passed away, Tony Hewitt, um, was always encouraging. Um, he he organised a um, management programme and they put me on. I was the first Glendale employee to be part of this management um, scheme. A gentleman called Larry Jones, which was a managing director, Andrew Brightman, uh, Richard Burton, Nick Temple-Hill. I've had a number of different people that I've, I've been able to, to look up to and have spoken... Um, <laughs> Uh, at eye level, shall I say, to me and, and, and encouraged me um, in the growth of the organisation. Obviously, I had to give back as well, and that was my time, my efforts, uh, uh, and my knowledge as well. So, uh, you know, I, I, I've had a number of different people, and I've been very, very, very fortunate. Um, I, I believe that, that the words that they said, the letters that they wrote me, um, just some of the, the time that they took speak to me independently are all the things that I want to do to help and mentor um, other people and the, and the lessons that I've learned from them of what I that really kept with me. Now I've loved listening to you two's plans and perspectives but have you got any personal professional future plans either of you what, what about you Tessa what's what's on the horizon? I think for us you know, Johnson Landscapes has existed for 30 years and I've, you know, I'm, I, I admire the business. Now that I've joined it, I see how difficult it is just to, to make a small business work. You know, I have the same problems that everybody else has. You know, we've got issues at the moment with one staff member. We've got issues with the business model. We all have issues all the time. And, and really trying to settle with a really good business model is one of my first aims before I even think about growth and bottom line and stuff like that. I want to create a business that um, actually 
it's more kind of driven by process and um, systems, which sounds a bit boring, but it just means everything moves more smoothly. Um, I want to involve the team more. You know, I have two two guys who are currently far more involved with the business than they used to be. And they really enjoy the business side. They enjoy winning the business. They enjoy delivering it. We want to grow, but actually we've increased our turnover a huge amount in the last five years without growing the team size. We've grown the team though. So we've invested in training with the team. And initially, Andrew would be the first person to say that, you know, he didn't really want to spend that much money on training or investment, but he's absolutely seen the rewards that that brings because all of the team are happier with what they're doing they have a bigger skill set they if they want to go and work for somebody else they're gonna they will find it a lot easier um, because they have all of their cards and their qualifications and I want to keep going with that I want to keep going with making sure I don't buy products that I don't like as in I don't want to use stone that has come from somewhere where it shouldn't or that uh young people have been digging stone up that that shouldn't i want to i want everything to have a provenance and that's the stuff that we're really working on um you know it's less about it's less about the the bottom line in a way um i i would love to see the business grow financially as well that would be an absolute bonus but i'm genuinely confident that's going to happen when we've got everything else in place great thanks tessa and what about you adrian what's your professional plans professional plans is to to, to run and, and be part of a very successful business, we have um, some, some good strategic aims. Um, I want us to be not the biggest in, in, in turnover, but I'd certainly want us to be known as one of the most successful uh, companies. Um, I certainly want us to be the employer choice. I want us to have something where employees really talk about working for, for Glendale and, and, and really share that knowledge and people want to queue up to work for us because we are such a, a good and pragmatic company. I want us to be technologically ahead um, and also for us to be working in lots of different areas. I'd like us to be known as a premier company um, with, with lots of different strings to the bow, um, but, but one, that, one that shows a family business, um, uh, run business, and a, certainly a, a family um, view of looking after and maintaining their staff. Great. Now, just to end on a light note, what we always do all week on the podcast is ask what your desert island plant is. So, Tessa, have you got a plant that you'd take to a desert island if you got stuck there? Anything you'd, you'd love, to, <laughs> love to be stuck with? Um, I think I, I'm slightly concerned that, you know, that the palette of plant is going to be a bit, bit dull or a bit repetitive if I only have the one, but hopefully it will be planted amongst other things. So, um, the plant I suppose I really love, which actually I've, I'm very spoiled. I have a cutting garden, which I made at home, which means that I don't have to um, go out and pay for flowers, which actually I should be more supportive and still use flower shops. But I, for pretty much between June and um, October, I have this ridiculously blousy cutting garden, which is utterly filled with sweet peas from the beginning of the season um, but dahlias and lots of people don't like dahlias my husband really doesn't like dahlias um, but I love them because they're blousy and showy and you can't help but smile at them uh, it's a bit like sort of cuddling a puppy they make you feel really good um, and then if I was just if I had to take one I'd probably take a photograph of the dahlias but I would probably take um, Bryza media which is one of the it's one of the quaking grass which has these little beautiful almost heart-shaped heart-shaped seed heads on it and it turns from green to ivory with a sort of 
purplish tinge to it. So I'm going to take the grass. I think it's the brizer. Okay, a grass, but and a photo of of of, of a cuddling cuddling a puppy. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and and, uh, and what about you, Adrian? Oh well, my my my. Uh... My heritage is from the beautiful island of St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And there's a particular um, plant um, to, that I would like is Anona squamosa, which is called sugar apple. Um, if, particularly as I'm on a desert island, I love something to eat as well. But I have a really bad, sweet tooth. Um, and this, this fruit, uh, it looks really peculiar, but when I tasted it, I, I fell in love with it. Um, and I even try and buy it over in the, in, in the UK as well. There's a, there's a Caribbean shop that I can go to and buy it. So that would be the plant that I would have. Brilliant, the sugar apple. Okay, well, thanks very much to Tessa and to Adrian. And uh, thanks for listening to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Matthew Appleby, and I've been with Adrian Wickham and Tessa Johnston talking about diversity in horticulture and landscaping. Now, make sure you never miss a Horticulture Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Horticulture Week podcast via Apple iTunes, Spotify or Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. So once again, thank you and goodbye till next time. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.